This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Ashley Davis Bush, LICSW, a psychotherapist in private practice in Southern New Hampshire with over 25 years experience in the mental health field. She's also the author of six self-help books, including Transcending Loss and Simple Self-Care for Therapists. She's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. For more information, check out her website at www.ashleydavisbush.com. Ashley, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your psychotherapy practice. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been very fortunate to be a therapist for over 25 years, and I I love my work. I loved it when I started social work school, and I've loved it all along the way. I just find it such a privilege to be part of people's lives in such an intimate way. At this point, um, I have a private practice that's actually in my home, which I never thought I'd want to do. But about eight years ago, I moved. So the office that I had previously had in um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, was just a little bit further than I wanted to drive, and we were making renovations on the house we were buying, so we basically added a, a little office with a separate entrance so that my clients could come in a, in a separate entrance, and I have to say, I love it. It's such an easy commute. <laughs> yeah, you know, that can even be a form of self-care, where you choose to put your practice and how far mm -hmm. you have to drive to get there. Absolutely. That it absolutely is because your environment matters and making choices about what kind of commute you're willing to do, where you want to be. You know, for some people, this wouldn't be a self-care choice because I'm pretty isolated other than my mm -hmm. dog and my cat who often sit in on sessions with me. <laughs> so for some people who maybe are even more extroverted, they'd want to be in a place where there are other therapists or maybe in a group practice. You really just have to know what works for you. Definitely. So what are your areas of focus in your practice? 
Well, grief is definitely one of them. I get a lot of grief referrals because the first book I wrote, which is called Transcending Loss, that came out almost 20 years ago now, which still sort of startles me that time is passing (laughs) at that rate. But, um, But I sort of became known in the field of grief for that work. And so I do get a lot of referrals around grief. But then I also wrote a book for couples. So I also get a lot of couple referrals. Basically, my practice is sort of uh, patterned itself after the books that I write. And self-care, of course, is uh, the book that we're talking about today as well, The Simple Self-Care for Therapists. And I would say that I talk with all my clients about self-care. So obviously, self-care is not just for therapists. Um, It's for everyone and being learning how to sort of find find the time and the motivation and the willingness to take care of yourself. But in in fact, I really, I do a lot of anxiety work with people. I work with adults, not children and couples and a wide range of that. You know, I've got a 19-year-old in my practice right now and an 86-year-old man in my practice. <laughs> Awesome. And they and they both need to talk about sex, which is so interesting <laughs> across the life cycle. I just it's such a fun job to watch life unfold in front of you. I just love it. Yeah, I agree with you too that it's such a privilege that people let us into our lives as therapists. I mean, it's not something to take lightly. No, no, it's really not. And and I think part of self-care for therapists is remembering the motivation that drove you into the field and the 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 privileges or blessings that arise in the field because it's also easy to get on the flip side and to feel frustrated that you're not making a difference or disappointed that people aren't making progress as quickly as you would like them to or sometimes feeling like you really have no idea what to do with this particular client so i'm also aware that the there's a sort of counter side to our work which this it, it can be frustrating we can burn out we have intense exposure to trauma and drama and anxiety and depression so it's not all sunshine and roses it's it's really a very full and complex uh, reaction to the work that we experience absolutely and I'm a huge fan of your book, Simple Self-Care for Therapists. Oh, thank you. It's a great book. And um, I'm fascinated by the concept of micro self-care that you talk about. Can you explain that a bit more for those who haven't heard that term before? Yes, absolutely. Well, when I started thinking about this book and researching this book, um, a lot of what we think of as traditional, quote unquote, self-care has to do with what I call macro practices or big practices. So those are things like taking vacations, uh, going exercise, doing exercise. We were talking about that before the show started. (laughs) That, of course, is a fabulous self-care practice, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes money if you're joining a gym or some other practice like that. And uh, it's not always easy to fit it in. Um, Things like massages, manicure, pedicures, fishing trips, uh, the things that we do, socializing with friends, trying to keep a well-rounded self, doing hobbies. These are all 
very, very important aspects toward a self-care sort of strategy or plan in your life. But as I mentioned, they take time, they take money, and they're not always easy to fit into a given day or a given week, mostly just because they're too big. They're macro. So micro is the idea of taking those and scaling them down and taking others and scaling them down to very short, simple practices that you can do all day long. So a micro self-care practice really shouldn't take more than a minute or two, and often they take seconds. And yet, they're still effective. My, I guess, belief is that macro is not enough and micro isn't enough in and of itself. You really need both to have the most well-rounded self-care strategy for your life. But the micro ones have a certain benefit over the macro in that they can be used so frequently and woven through your day before sessions, after sessions, even in between sessions and during sessions. So um, so it's the whole idea of bringing it to the micro level. What can you do in 60 seconds or less? Yeah, that's such a interesting concept because, um, you know, one of the complaints that we therapists typically make about self-care is, oh, I don't have time for self-care. You know, mm-hmm. I'm so busy throughout the day. But if you can do it during a session, then really there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, then you have to analyze, do you feel that you deserve self-care, which is another interesting sort of side note to this, because I also, like you, have heard many therapists say, I don't have time for self-care. Sure, I'd love to go on a yoga weekend, whatever. I don't have time. Um, the idea of meditation, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it just feels too daunting. So people say, I, I can't do it at all. But then there's this other piece that sometimes, and in particular therapists, they don't feel they deserve it because they think that their purpose is to be helping other people. I shouldn't be helping myself. I should be helping other people. But of course, there's real faulty logic to that because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not as able to take care of others. So I try to... Um, sort of coach people, advise people that it's in the taking care of yourself that you become your best therapist self. So it's it's the same thing. I hear this a lot with young mothers, mm-hmm. young mothers who, of course, are just really strung out with the needs of young children. And it's very labor intensive to have babies and toddlers and young, you know, school age, grammar school age children. And the the mothers will also often say, A, I don't have time. And B, I can't, you know, I don't want to take time to go do a yoga class when I really should be with my child. Uh, Working mothers especially feel that way. And yet there's this idea, um, Stephen Covey used to talk about sharpening the saw. He's actually the author of the Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, among many other books. And it's this idea that if if you just keep sawing with a dull blade, you know, you're not actually being very effective. If you take the time to sharpen your saw, you end up with a more efficient instrument. And so I would say that's true for mothers, for working mothers, for therapists, for well, basically anyone. Uh, this idea that everyone benefits. It's a win-win-win when you take care of yourself. Your family benefits, your clients benefit, you benefit. But really the beauty of micro is that 
you don't have as many excuses because you can do it. It's 60 seconds or less, you know, two minutes or less. So there really, there is not any excuse. Right. So um, how did you decide to write a book about micro self-care? Did you come up with that? concept i, I did oh, it actually congratulations. Oh, thank you <laughs> very cool <laughs> well it actually started with um a book that i wrote called shortcuts to inner peace mm. and that's when the whole micro self-care concept sort of crystallized for me and it actually happened both in, in a couple of ways but primarily with a client that was telling me she had no time to take care of herself and i said you have time to use the bathroom and wash your hands, don't you? And she said, well, yeah, I guess I do because <laughs> she uses the bathroom and washes her hands. So I said, you need to come up with some kind of self or we together need to come up with a self-care practice that you can do while you're washing your hands after you use the bathroom because you're already doing it. And so she liked that idea and we came up with um, a tool or a practice that's in the book um, shortcuts to inner peace called go with the flow. And it had to do with when the water comes out of the faucet and you feel it, you want to repeat to yourself the mantra, I go with the flow, or I'm in the flow of life, or I, I flow with life and let go of resistance. Cause she had a lot of things she was resisting in her life at the time. Mm-hmm. So that sort of when when it worked for her because she came back the next week and said, this is great. Every time I wash my hands, I have this moment of sort of flowing with life's energy and I feel better. And I thought, wow, I'm, we're really onto something here. Uh, there must be a way to incorporate healthy well-being practices while doing things you're already doing. So that's how that started. But then after um, Shortcuts to Inner Peace came out, I realized that I started doing them through my day as a therapist. And I said, wow, there's really something here that I could share with other therapists about how to use time during your day to take care of yourself. So it just kind of kept evolving. Um, and I, I love it personally because I have sort of a short attention span. <laughs> and even though I know that long meditations are good for you and long self-care practices are good for you, I, for me, less is more. Shorter is better, less is more. And so it kind of fits for me. Yeah. And so I thought it might fit for others too. Yeah, and you're you're definitely right. Um, you know, I first learned about the book from another therapist who, you know, someone was saying like what's a good book to read and the person said Simple Self-Care for Therapists and I just bought it right away. And Oh, um... <laughs> that's so nice. Word of mouth. That's great. Yeah, in the Facebook group, so we all talk. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's where we share our info. Um, That's great. Is that just a community of therapists that you all you all connect around issues in your practice? Well, yeah, there are a few Facebook groups um, that are for therapists. Um, You know, it started for me with Julie Hanks um, private practice toolbox group, Mm -hmm. which had a lot of tips, but it was also like a community where people would say not clinical questions, but things about, you know, like I'm going on vacation and I haven't been reading, you know, what can you recommend and just other things to sort of deal with the isolation that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. There's some really great groups. It's actually, you know, to have 
there have been some friendships I've made through those groups that have developed into real, real life friendships and, um, it's tremendously valuable for me. Mm-hmm. See, that's an example of self-care that's more on the macro level. Mm. So certainly when I um, encourage people to do micro practices, I don't insinuate that you shouldn't also do macro. Macro is great. You just, you really want as much support and as many resources as you can possibly have. But the internet is so interesting for people who have naturally isolated um, either experiences or professions because you can connect with people online. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. And when you can take it to a friendship where you meet in person or you get to talk in person like we're doing right now, that's, um, I think, where you're really making the best of what the Internet can do because, you know, sometimes it can almost promote that in isolation by creating that um, artificial relationship. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I certainly, I'm in Maryland. I wouldn't know so many people in California and Canada and Arkansas if I if it weren't for these groups. So I'm very grateful for them. Well, that's neat. You know, this is an aside, but I, as I mentioned, my career kind of started as a writer with grief and the internet has really made it possible for grievers to connect with each mm-hmm. other, which is a huge source of support. So yeah, finding, um, you know, pockets of people who understand your experience in whatever way that is, is just incredibly healing. I agree. One of the big concepts of your book, as I interpret it, is how self-care can be preventive and uh, also healing for burnout. Yes. Well, that's absolutely right. Um, Basically, we are always sort of at risk, if you will, for burnout and compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. And, And that is you know, that's going to basically end your career in this field. So it's a serious concern. And it also means if you're falling into the the traps of, you know, starting down that road of burnout and or compassion fatigue, that you're just not doing your best work. Mm -hmm. And um, we kind of were talking about that earlier on, that even though this work is so exciting and fulfilling, it also has this potential other side, which is it can be frustrating or disappointing or exhausting emotionally. So the idea of self-care, it's not, it really isn't just for yourself. It's so that you can be your best self as a therapist, so that you can continue to feel inspired in the work and that you can show up for clients and have presence. You know, um, Of course, all the research shows that it's not so much your training or your degree or your perspective that heals. It's what happens in the room between you and a client. It's your presence and the connection that comes between one soul and another. And if you're sort of preoccupied or burned out or stressed out or like losing your mojo, you're not going to be there in a present way to make an authentic connection with your client. So it is preventative and it is um, really ultimately about helping your client by helping yourself. Absolutely. You talk about little B and big B burnout, and I've never heard that discussed before. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Big B burnout is probably the one that you mostly hear about, and that is um, that you're really starting to fry out 
to the point where you're probably going to need to leave the field, that you just, you can't take it anymore. Maybe you're working in a mental health clinic run by a state or something like that where there's just a huge amount of people coming through. I know lots of people have high um, quotas they're supposed to make, whether it's seeing 30 clients in a week or, you know, it's like you're on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. And you don't always have control over your own schedule either. So when you start to get that kind of big B burnout where you're like, I just can't do this work anymore, I can't take it anymore, I'm going to have to quit or find some other way to work, you're... um, that's big B. (laughs) You are totally burning out and you're going to have to leave the field. But little B burnout means that you're really just exhausted at the end of a week or at the end of a day. So it's on a smaller scale and you can probably recover quicker by having a really good night's sleep or a few days off like over the week where you just are like, I can't do any work at all. I can't write a session note. I can't think about a client. But that happens. You might have had a few too many clients that day, so you're really, really fried at the end of the day. Or maybe your schedule worked out that you just had four in a row, bang, 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 bang. You had a two, a three, a four, and a five. And so by you know 6 p.m., you're like, you can hardly see straight. So that is little B burnout. Now, little B, you have the potential to refortify and to regenerate and to take care of yourself and like i said recover more quickly maybe you take the morning off and you don't have a client till 11 that next morning or maybe you just get an extra night's sleep um or you just take a big bubble bath that night and you can usually recover more quickly but if you have a string of little B burnouts and they're happening more frequently, then they're going to lead to a big B burnout. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. You know, what you said about vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue really hits home for me, too, because for one, I'm a trauma therapist, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think so often we don't recognize the impact of doing trauma work, but I also like in your book, how you, the way you talk about vicarious trauma is not only for trauma therapists. And I think that's a really important message because so many therapists are like, Oh, well, I don't work with trauma. And it's like, first of all, yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're not, you know, doing trauma work with your clients. Okay. But you know, a yeah. lot of people who are coming through have trauma. 
Well, that is for sure. Um, trauma is sort of pervasive in many, if not most, of the people's lives that we deal with. But, I mean, you could almost, I don't use the term in the book, big T and little t, but there is that. You know, there's big T trauma, which is, you know, rapes and sexual abuse and addiction and car accidents and big, giant, horrible, tragic things that happen. But there's also small t trauma in the sense of just sort of human suffering, whether it's in the form of anxiety or depression or your parents argued a lot when you were little or even as simple as, you know, you your older sibling was a star and got straight A's and you didn't. I mean, these are it's it's just the pain. The mm-hmm. pain that we experience is a form of trauma, of small T trauma. The other piece is that we're always affected by the clients we serve and by um their experiences. So for example, if you work with couples, you know that not all couples are happy, (laughs) that there are obviously, it's a self-select group of people coming to see you because they're clearly not happy and they're trying to improve their marriages. But when I watch people get married now, for example, I often will think, wow, I hope they make it and I hope they're not divorced in 10 or 20 years. Be, and and it's only because I see so many divorce stories. I've actually been divorced. My parents were divorced. I, I know divorce is 50% if not more. So I'm just, the lens with which I see the world has been affected both by my personal experience and by my professional experience. So Yes, there's trauma in divorce, but not necessarily domestic violence or even addiction. It's just life has pain. Mm-hmm. Life has pain. And that was one of the first things the, the, the Buddha said in the Four Noble Truths is that life is painful. So that in and of itself is trauma. So we're always we're exposed to life's pains and the struggles that people go to uh, go through. So we're obviously always dealing with trauma. And the lens with which we view the world is affected because of it. Yes. So um, you talked about in the book the idea of self-care versus self-violence. And I thought that was really powerful. Can you talk more about that? Mm, Yes. I actually took a workshop with a woman around self-care. She's a very wise woman. And she introduced me to that concept of self-violence and that that self-violence doesn't have to be, um, you know, I binge or I drink till I pass out or I cut or harm myself. Again, it's all a spectrum, kind of like we're talking about the spectrum of burnout, the spectrum of trauma. There's this spectrum of when you're not taking care of yourself, you're actually doing harm to yourself, i.e. being violent to yourself. And that can come out in a myriad of subtle ways, probably most prominently, which is how we talk to ourselves. Mm. So this idea of the messages we give ourselves, you didn't do this well enough, you should have done that, the whole you should on yourself, Mm -hmm. um, that we have often, as our clients do, a a stream of negative self-talk. And if we don't start to hear it, catch it, check it, change it, it becomes a very insidious form of self-violence. And um, so I think it's just 
a good way to kind of frame it so that you can start saying, oh, no, I don't want to be violent to myself in any, any behavior, any deed, any thought, any action, and starting to turn that around. We're trying to teach our clients how to love themselves, and, of course, we have to be working on that ourselves. Yes, or I say so often to other therapists, um, clients see when we're not walking the talk. Mm. Yeah, and even if they don't exactly see it, they sense it mm-hmm. or they pick it up in the ether. They, there's an energy field where they they get it, you know. And um, and that's not to say that that we're superhuman or perfect or we've got it all together because obviously we're part of the human condition too and we have our own struggles and our own learning lessons and this and that, our own own growth arc. But the idea is to try to be more aware of our pitfalls so that we're working on it, whether we're getting our own therapy or talking with friends or just really kicking up our self-care or getting into spiritual direction or having some means of self-reflection so that we're growing, so that we continue to grow. Beautiful. So, um, Many of the practices in the book, I noticed, focus on grounding and mindfulness. Yes. I'm a big believer that mindfulness is a very simple and easy tool that helps us get more grounded. And uh, I don't, do you practice mindfulness? I do. Not as much as I would like, <laughs> but I, I, I do. Careful that that's not a self-violent thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, you know, I think I try to do the things that in the more micro way that you describe because I during a day throughout a, throughout a day in moments I'm checking in with myself and just trying to be mindful but I don't spend as much time formally sitting and meditating as I really would like to well that's where you know the one minute meditation <laughs> comes in so handy uh, just doing the less is more but of course mindfulness is can be woven through a day like I described the um, washing the hands and having a a mantra go with that but in fact it can also just be a simple mindfulness practice of I feel the water on my hands I feel the temperature I'm in this moment the water is with me it can also become a gratitude practice of I'm so grateful that water is coming out of this faucet. (laughs) And if you've ever had your pipes freeze or anything else, you know that um, water coming out of a faucet is a wonderful thing. (laughs) Yeah, really. You you take it for granted until it's gone. Until it's gone or until you're in a third world country where it's, you know, clean water is a great blessing and a rare thing. So using that moment of mindfulness, it can be a gratitude practice, just the sensation of the water and or a mantra sort of aligning you with the energy of the universe. But I think mindfulness, because it asks us to be fully present in the moment, there's just an immediate sense of grounding. And grounding, I mean, we use that term kind of loosely, but when I use the term, I guess I mean to really inhabit your body, to be on 
on the planet, so to speak, to be clicked into the now. And because otherwise it's too easy to sort of always be in your head, always be one step ahead. What am I doing next? What am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing next week? I'm very guilty of that because I'm a big planner. I just Mm. sort of naturally do that. I mean, I actually put something on the calendar recently for 2018 and I thought, wow, I'm really getting (laughs) carried away with this planning business. So I have to really intentionally say, nope, you know, 2018 may not even come for me. I have to be in this moment. It's all I have right now. So mindfulness is the perfect way to just bring you right into this moment and experience exactly what you're experiencing right now in this moment. So one of the self-care practices I have, I'll just share It's in the book, and I do it with my clients. So this is actually kind of a fun one because I've been saying that as you take care of yourself, you take care of your clients implicitly. But this is actually one that I do for them and for me, so we experience it together. Mm. And um, it's basically very simple. I ring a bell at the beginning of sessions, and it's a Tibetan singing bowl. I ring it three times, and before I do, we have a ritual that they come to know. I always start, I say, let's start with the bell. And then they close their eyes, and I close my eyes, and I lead us through just a brief, brief moment of focusing on the breath, feeling your body in the chair, allowing yourself to be completely present open and curious about whatever needs to arise. And then I direct our attention to the bell and say, when you hear the sound of the bell, let the tone calm you, relax you, and take you deeper inside to a place of spacious stillness. Then I say, breathe in the bell. It sounds like this. And while the sound is emanating around us, I add the words, make me an instrument, make me an instrument. Mm. And so it's this moment of both myself and the client coming into the present moment, getting grounded in the now, opening ourselves for whatever's going to happen in the session, and uh, sort of starting on the same page. So it's an example of self-care that it's for all of for everyone in the room. Even my dog will usually breathe in the bell and settle down. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's so funny. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. And you know, it's the idea too of like a ritual coming in. And I don't know if there's another ritual on the way out, but um, you know, yeah. just kind of setting that tone. Exactly. I do a ritual on the way out, but that one is not known to them, unbeknownst to them. Basically, um, when they leave, I sort of, and I've closed the door, I kind of push my hands toward the door as if like I'm pushing them out, but they've already left and I've closed the door so they don't see me doing this. And I'm basically saying, go in peace, Mm. go in peace. So that one is really more for them than for me. I might do another one where I 
um, shake off energy from me and do kind of a what I call a shakedown and use my hands to sweep energy off of my arms and my legs and just to clear my energy. But yeah, I think it's important to to find tools that work. And what's nice about micro is that they're so short and simple, you can shake them up. I mean, I, I do the bell ringing for every session, but then I might do something different at the end of session, or I might do something different for my end of the day. Because I, I do believe that it's nice to have kind of a framework or a scaffolding yeah. of a basic plan. And when I teach about the basic plan, I try to get practitioners to come up with one micro self-care practice you do at the beginning of your day, one at the middle of your day, and one at the end of your day. So if nothing else, you've got those three in place. And then those can change. You know, they can change. You can look through the book for ideas. Most people actually have quite a few tools at their disposal. So, for example, if you like doing yoga, you might just pick one pose that you do in the morning as to start your day. So things that might already work for you, you might be able to scale down. You know, if you like to meditate, just do 60 seconds. If you like yoga, just do one pose. If you like to write poetry, this is one I sometimes recommend for people. Write a haiku at the end of the day about your day. A haiku is a three-line short poem, Japanese in origin, that's uh, the... This pattern is five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. So you have five, seven, five. Some people love doing things like that. Other people don't. So you have to find what works for you and then and then change it. Maybe the haiku worked for you one day, but it's not going to work on another day. So you just have to play with it and have fun with it. Yeah. Hearing you talk about it, it sounds so even more possible and simple to incorporate micro self-care into the day than it does reading it in the book oh well that's good I mean I guess that's good yeah <laughs> I well, guess I, I just you need know. to talk to people about it <laughs> I think get the, the word is, out yeah the book is definitely wonderful but you know uh, just hearing you say it is like well shoot I can do that you exactly know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right and it's just so you know there's just really no reason not to you just have to kind of think creatively um about different things that might be helpful. I think I, I don't even remember how many I have in the book, but there are probably like 40 or 50 suggestions. And, um, and once you start thinking about it, you find like, I'm always adding new ones really. Cause mm -hmm. I, I might go to a workshop and hear of something cool, or I'm reminded of something I forgot about, or I learned something. I, I, I do tend to go on spiritual retreats a lot. That's part of my macro self care. And so I might pick something up there and think, Oh, I can do this at a micro level. So once you start kind of opening your mind to the possibility, you start thinking of, of ways to bring this into your day. And I recommend that you write things down so you don't forget um, put them on index cards you could also sort of play a game like hmm what micro practice am I going to do right now sort of eeny meeny miny mo and pull out your index card or just pick one out of the book that's a really great idea because sometimes you have to like have something tangible yes yes you know? it's much easier if there's something tangible to get you going yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the book right now and um I I found this sort of little checklist kind of it's a bulleted list it says 
Um, in one of the chapters you will find it has a practice to use upon waking, a practice for starting your work day, a practice for starting a session, a practice to use in session, between sessions and after sessions, a practice to help you debrief at the end of your work day, a balance of breath, movement, mindfulness, and visualization practices, a balance of grounding, energizing, and relaxation practices. It's just so comprehensive. It's not even, it's a small book. It's not even big. (laughs) Well, the thing is, they're all short and simple. I mean, I like that, that bullet point list too. My concern was that it might make people feel like, oh, geez, I got to do something, you know, here, 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 here all day long. It shouldn't feel overwhelming. And it's not overwhelming when you realize how simple they are. That's like, it's almost like if you were to add up what do you do in a day? Oh, I brush my teeth, I get dressed, I take a shower, I guess before you get dressed, you know, I do this, that, like you list a thousand things you do in a day. But um, in fact, they just fit into your day because most of them are quite small. So it's not that this should be an overwhelming task or I'm suggesting, oh, you got to do this and then you got to do that and then you got to do this. The, the point is, and I'm glad that in explaining them, it, it comes across that this is just so doable. It's so easy. Um, and most of them are fun and make you feel better. So as with any habit that you're trying to develop, if it is reinforcing in a positive way, you want to do it. So, you know, these are fun and easy and they make you feel good. So they're, they're positively reinforcing. And I should throw in that my my piece about neuroplasticity because this brings the science to it which is that we know based on neuroplasticity which is the science that the brain can actually change in response to repetitive experiences this is good news because there was a time where we thought the brain did not change it reached a certain you know growth Uh, spurt or whatever and then it just like stopped but now we know the brain is much more plastic and it's able to change as a as in response to repetitive behaviors so this whole idea of little and often taking a small practice and using it frequently it actually will rewire your brain so that you are more peaceful overall and more sort of at home in your body so that's the other sort of sales pitch, if you will, that not only is this good for you and good for your clients and good for your family, it's going to rewire your brain in a better way so that your default setting becomes more easily resting in a place of peace and gratitude and feeling good. So this is just all great news for us. Definitely. You can't go wrong, huh? It feels good when you do it and then it makes you feel better all the time. So Exactly. What's not to love? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like if only chocolate were so healthy for you. (laughs) You can have chocolate 10 times a day. (gasps) Before, first when you first wake up, before a session, during a session, in between sessions. That would be be a little much, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. So these are sort of, it can't be chocolate, although one of them could be. Like even a morsel of chocolate, less Mm -hmm. is more. It's this idea of less is more. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and and so much space for variety. And I think, you know, that list I read off, um, to me, it didn't seem overwhelming at all. It seemed like... Good. You know, it's okay if I don't do it when I first wake up because I could do it before a session or I could do it during or between, you know? So mm-hmm. for me, that That's was right. kind of like positive. It's all possibility. Yes. It's possibility. 
Yes, yes, yes. I do think it's helpful, though, um, to have sort of three a day, the basic plan, so that you're getting one in in the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end of your day. But that, you know, if those three are it, that's fine. I mean, that, and that, even that might be all of, you know, three minutes in a day. Everyone has three minutes in a day. They can do something nice for themselves. Yeah, and I think the structure helps, too. Like you said, mm-hmm. the scaffolding around your day. Yes, exactly. So, Ashley, you've written six books. Two of them, apparently, both came out in 2015. And you write for Huffington Post. You have a therapy practice, your wife and mother. So how do you make time to fit self-care, big self-care and little self-care, macro and micro, into your life? Well, the micro, as we've been discussing, is is easier to fit in because I just uh, make it happen throughout the day. Well, I will say I'm fortunate that, in fact, my kids are they're basically mostly grown. I have one stepson still with us half time, but my they're all college age and older. So, for anyone who still has young children at home, I will say it gets so much easier mm-hmm. when they grow up. It There's does. just a lot more time. And uh, the other thing I do, which will sound counterintuitive, but I sleep a lot. I always have. I sleep eight to nine hours a night, and I make that happen, usually pretty much consistently nine hours a night. And as a result, I, I'm not tired during the day. I can get a lot done during the day. I can be pretty efficient. And I hear people talk about, oh, I don't have time, and I stay up till midnight, and I wake up at six, and I think, oh, I'd never get anything done. I'd be so (laughs) sleep deprived. So I'm a big believer in get enough sleep so that you can function during the day and feel productive. Um, I couldn't get anything done if I didn't sleep nine hours a night. (laughs) So, Well, I have to say, you sound very well rested. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I did just get off of two-week vacation, so that probably helped too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, when when you start to prioritize self-care, you just realize that you can't really do without it. So I do prioritize macro and micro. And as I said, it everything becomes easier when your children grow up. Um, and uh, I'm fortunate that I don't know if your experience as a, as, as a therapist is that, you know, I'm not working 40 hours the week in the same way someone else is. I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule, especially since I work from home. So, um, you know, Fridays I don't see clients. Some days I start at 9. Some days I start at 11. Some days I'll work till 7 p.m. Some days I stop at 5 p.m. So I have a lot of control over my schedule, and that's a very that's a very good thing. I feel fortunate with that. I agree. I think that's actually a really important piece, being self-employed and having the freedom to make my schedule be the way I want it to be. Sometimes it's a double-edged sword because I overwork myself, but if I'm Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. my healthy state of mind, I can really make it work for me, and that's really a big piece of self-care for me. Yes, absolutely. We're fortunate to have that flexibility. Um, But I will also say there are seasons, so to speak, in a person's life. And I've certainly had seasons when I wasn't quite as on my game with self-care, both when my kids were young or um, there was a time when my husband was sick and had cancer. And so I also try to help people see that 
you know, there are seasons and then the seasons pass. There's a lot of impermanence and things are changing. And so just because this year you don't seem to have the time or the space doesn't mean that next year you won't or the year after that. You just, uh, you got to keep going. But the micro, you can get in every day during any season. So micro is evergreen and macro, you hopefully find the time for eventually. Well, that's a great perspective, and I'm glad you shared that. Well, Ashley, thank you so very much for being here. I really enjoyed our discussion, and I think our listeners are going to be, especially I think people will appreciate that you gave some examples of um, how you do micro self-care so people can see that, you know, it's pretty simple. Great. Yes. Well, it was my pleasure. I love talking about this and helping people understand that self-care is a win-win-win it's a good thing and it's very easy to implement and it feels good so i hope your listeners will definitely start uh, engaging in some micro self-care practices yeah i think i think a lot of people are going to love listening to this so for everyone who wants more information about ashley davis bush you can visit her website at www.ashleydavisbush.com Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at TherapyNotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to TraumaTherapistNetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.lcswc.com.